this is this is exciting um since you've had more guests since i was last on so it's like it's it's very exciting I think you're quite right. I think you are winning over the crowd as sort of the guest in their minds. Yeah. Um, yeah. Lil's episode performed a lot better. When they hear guest, they see Jack's face. Yeah, yeah. What, like, <laughs> that's, Jack's the first thing they think of, and, you know, it turns out it's somebody else. But, um, yeah, Lil's, Lil's episode got the most downloads. Um, but that's <laughs> no, right. any number just, of things. I'll, I'll come in and I'll swoop in and I'll... I'll, I'll... Push up all the numbers with this. This is this is this is where it's at. Uh, yeah, it, completely unfounded confidence. This is the, this is the one. You know. Okay. Oh, jeez, <laughs> I like that optimism. This podcast has been founded on a few other things, I'd say. <laughs> Sponsored by, brought to you by, deceptively clever. Brought to you by, completely unfounded confidence. <laughs> yeah, that has a ring to it, doesn't it? Welcome back to the Deceptively Clever Podcast, where we are very casual about the truth. Oh, I keep forgetting to say history podcast. It's a history podcast, John. <laughs> Welcome, to Deceptively Clever... oh. Welcome to the Deceptively Clever Podcast, a history podcast where we are casual about the truth. We've switched the time zones this time, so Justin's having to put up with the bright early morning, and I am sitting back with a nice cold beer. We're joined with Jack, who has demanded that I ask that we bring him back by popular demand. Hello, Jack. It's good to be here once again. Hello, Justin. Everybody's favourite guest, Jack. <laughs> oh. it so- okay, it sounds false. <laughs> As opposed to before, where it didn't sound <laughs> like false. Jack. How was that intro? That was pretty good. Yeah, it was pretty good. You said we are a history podcast, not that is a casual. That is casual about the truth. You said that is casual about stuff. the truth. So maybe we'll... I think we've got now a floating, rolling uh, tagline, which I like. Um, I liked the little tangent. You just went straight into the time zone swap. That was a nice little move. I'm a pro. Mm. It's like you've done this 26 times. <laughs> I'm a pro who still records on my phone. <laughs> Six months We're staying connected to our origins. We're not getting carried away with the fame and glory that is falling yeah, upon us. Yeah, we're not. We're don't, not don't let it, don't let we're it not get to your heads. No. If if Rode would like to sponsor us and yeah, send us, anyone, if anyone had a microphone three, that just was lying three sets around, of <laughs> podcasting equipment, we'll take it. Um, yeah, no, it's nice to be with you at seven something a.m. Um, birds are pretty active here in Low Head. Sun is definitely bright. Not a cloud in the sky, and uh, still no COVID. So does that. So, so better than here then. Be- hey. <laughs> I mean, better than most places in the world, I guess. Yeah. It is still Tasmania. Yeah, that is true. We had sun today, <laughs> though. We had sun in Scotland. We It was snowing oh. last weekend, and now it's sunny and warm this weekend. So uh, we are living the climate cha- change dream right now. It's amazing. Yeah. Has the snow turned into, like, awful uh, it, it, brown mud? That it went in, snow? like... No, oh, it didn't even last a day. It went in, like, three hours. I, like, went for a walk, came back, and it was, like, snow oh. outside. I went to the shops, like, three or four hours later, and it was, like, gone. It was weird. But, you know, not bad, just really weird. That's kind of what you want, really. Yeah, it was perfect. It was amazing. So it gets annoying. You get all of the enjoyment, and then it's just, you know, skipping the bad part, the clean-up. Also, us now being on Skype has really made it very obvious that it's JL, JB, and JG all on the top, which is really satisfying to me. JJJ. 
Triple J. Isn't that an Australian well, radio has... network? Triple J. It's, uh, it is, yes. It's actually the youth station of the national broadcaster. I'm, uh, I'm hip with the kids in Australia. I was going to say, it's a very... There's like a meme in Australia that listening to Triple J is not a personality trait. Um, <laughs> but I feel like if you're from England and you know about it, that's pretty specific, so... Pretty cool. Just in the wrong country. If you're not cool there, you should come here because then you'd be cool here. I yeah, here I'm just That's weird. what we've learned. Here I'm a weird nerd Australian fanboy. <laughs> like, like would just, John would just like burn up to a crisp if he went to Australia. <laughs> uh, right, do you want to hear about an object? I do absolutely want to hear about an object. A bit novel, uh, talking about the, an object. The guest, the yeah. guest knows what he's doing. First uh, yeah. Yes, I will come back, but I'm taking control of this absolute train wreck because I've got oh, yeah. things to right, do that's today. Right, I'm well, I'm just back. excited to talk about it, all right? I've spent all day... I mean, this was really organised and I've been researching this for weeks. Um, I've spent all day looking at this. And I'm and also, Justin, this is, this is interesting. I told John already, but it's a little bit of family history I've got today. Um, so I've got a little bit of my family histories in this as well. So, you know. Oh, it's all Fantastic. Yeah. So that we can dox. Um, so that we can dox. Jack. It is right. Um, so today for <laughs> this you. Sounds very exciting. Um, I have. I don't know why I'm making this so dramatic. Um, the duplex drive Sherman tank, which was, um, if you would like to put into your search engine of choice, um, you need to be careful with this because if you do DD space tank it comes up with the right thing so like dd and then a space and then the word tank it comes up but if you don't put space it comes up with some weird um mobile game so um yeah <laughs> yeah no oh <laughs> i thought it was gonna be much worse yeah okay. i mean it is well, it is yeah. a big tank. Big old tank it's actually not it's a, it's a reasonably small tank actually well. um as tanks go i mean it's big compared to like yeah, satsuma but no, compared to like other tanks, it's pretty small. Yeah, there shouldn't be any spoilers on the can pictures. I scroll, can I scroll um, through the pictures? But the main, there's like two main pictures. One with the like, when it looks like a tank and one with the big like skirt thing up over the turret. That's like the two important pictures. Yeah, I was going to ask about that because that just looks like it's a, a bunch of mattresses with yeah, wheels. pretty much. So it's basically... Kind of looks exactly like you would imagine uh, a typical for a person who has no interest in military history, a typical tank World War Two era looking, but it's got something that looks like uh, an inflatable mattress. A literally an inflatable mattress around it, which can be sort of folded down or sticking up, and then it looks like it's a tank base with four mattresses piled on top of it. Um, yeah, I mean that's basically what it is. is. So it's. The DD is the duplex drive, so it goes on land and it goes in water. So um, the I don't know if any of the pictures you've got you can see, but basically Ooh. it has two propellers at the back. Um, and these tanks were used in the Normandy invasion, so they would pr uh, propel through the water, uh, land on the Normandy beaches, uh, and then help the, the um, allies push through the German defences uh, into Normandy. Um, so they were an amphibious, basically, an amphibious swimming tank. Um, and why this is family history is my great-granddad was an engineer working on this 
Uh, and basically he was excused military service because of that um, and instead went to Italy. Um, so it could well be part of the reason that he survived and I was able to be born. Um, so there, there's a fun fact. Um, so basically the way it worked nice. is um, <laughs> that big mattress looking thing um, took 15 minutes to inflate and you basically it had a load of um, rubber tubes stuck to the side of it and it would like keep it rigid and it would inflate up full of air and that would keep it buoyant and then the um, propellers on the back would spin and it would go forward um, and it went to about four knots which is not that fast but reasonably fast for a tank that sat in water. I was going to say the, pro the propellers look quite small. <laughs> I mean it wasn't very fast but um, it, it did the job. Yeah. Um, and basically, yeah, these were the tank itself is a Sherman tank. The reason why Justin it just looks like a generic tank is because it basically this is the generic World War Two tank. It is. This is what all of the Allies basically used because it was really small and cheap, and America just like made a lot of them. Okay. Um, and uh, yeah, basically, this is my item. Um, they were mostly yeah the M4 Sherman tanks because they were based really lightweight. Um, they were first designed at the end of world war one but the world war one tanks were like way too heavy um and then a hungarian engineer named nicholas strusler developed uh, the floats um and this is, was my favorite thing that i found because um they they tested a load of them on these uh, older tanks the vickers armstrong and it performed to quote them reasonably well i think a load of them sunk um, <laughs> but that was the military like like words for how well it went reasonably well uh, but then they were properly made in 1942 uh, and then fitted to the Shermans of 1943. Um, and they're, yeah, used mainly for the, the thing that they're mostly used for, or like mainly known for, uh, was uh, Operation Neptune, which was the D-Day landing. Because um, the battle of the whole Battle of Normandy was Operation Overlord. And then the Battle of Neptune was what it was mainly used for when they got to the beaches. Um, yeah, and that, I mean, that's pretty much the long and short of the item, or the object. Were deployed on D-Day? Uh, I don't know exact numbers, but it was a couple of hundred each. Okay. Uh, you know, it was hundreds, because each, there's, so D-Day, I don't know how much you know about D-Day. Um, there were one, two, three, four, five, five beaches, and each got a couple of hundred, so a couple of battalions got set okay. to each. So you know, a fair chunk. Um, the so most was it just the so sorry. No, go on, go on. Was it just? Did all fight? So the Canadians, the two British, and the two American. Yeah, so it was used by all user? of them. Um, it was basically because most of the forces just used American tanks. So the British bought a load of American tanks, and so did the Canadians, and they all used these Sherman tanks. Um, there is a little bit in one of my statements about different tanks that used it and stuff. Um, but yeah, basically it was all of these M4 Sherman tanks that were used because that was, they were just the best tanks that they had. Um, and they just bought loads of them. Did it take a while to <laughs> deflate it? No, they deflated really quickly. So it's 15 minutes to go up and then they just sort of went down because they just had release valves for the... Um, so they would just go down. Um, the main thing, the reason they used the Sherman tank was so they could be ready instantly so they could drive and use the gun and aim while doing it so basically the idea was that they could get onto the beach the 
skirt, as they call it, would come down, and then they would be. Which would be a pretty big, a pretty big uh, use point of usefulness, I would imagine. Yeah, yeah. Well, it was yeah very helpful for the um, the the invasion of Normandy. Really, um, kind of re- like they wouldn't have done it without them. They were really really important. Um, there's actually still a lot of wrecks of them um, in Normandy. So if you, you can go and dive them, and there are all of these like. Because if they hit a carrier, it would go down with like as many tanks that were on the uh, there, and it would, there's a load of them at the bottom, which is quite cool. Um, if you're into such things, um, obviously tanks aren't for everyone. Tanks aren't for everyone, no. But that, you can't deny that they are interesting. Exactly, and I've got some. I've just this is as far as tanks and military history go. And I must say, I'm not a mis- military historian. Not. I mean, the reason I like this is because I because I basically had the family thing. Um, but actually, there's some wacky stuff with this that I found out. So it's actually a bit more. Uh, it's not quite as. Uh, it's a bit more lighthearted than it first sounds. <laughs> through my statements, okay. and maybe it isn't. But we'll see. Uh, John's not a. Never been afraid of uh, some morbid topic. statements. Yeah. A dark topic. Yeah. Um, so, do we have any notable disasters? I, I'm guessing if they were mainly used for one landing, we had some wins, we had some losses. Um, well, I mean. D-Day was reasonably successful. Omaha Beach, which is like... I mean, I, I got a bit sidetracked earlier watching like the beginning of Save Private Ryan where they do the D-Day landing, um, which was <laughs> yeah. just... But that's about the only one that it went wrong for. Like, the rest of them, it went quite any, well. Yeah. Like, they just landed and it worked. Are there any of these tanks... Are there any of these tanks in Save Private Ryan? Uh, yeah, I think there's one. There's a couple. Um, also, speaking of these... I've just remembered my last little fact I've got. So there are eight that still exist, as in like full, and I've been to see one of them. I've seen one of these, one of the eight remaining tanks I've seen in real life. It's quite cool. <laughs> That's cool. Where did you see that? Uh, at the Bovington Tank Museum, of all you know, of all places that feels. That's where I would expect one to be. Yeah, yep. I saw. A, I saw. Honestly, I you know I I can kind of appreciate a good bit of history. Uh, by the end of my weekend that I spent going there, I'd seen two hundred tanks, and it was possibly. Too many. I was. That's a lot. Of, I haven't had to see another one since. I, that was that was me. That was my quota of seeing tanks for probably most of my life. I think. <laughs> did, did you go inside one? Yeah, I drove one. Oh dear. Um, that was. That's claustrophobia fun. in a can. Well, the the top was open, so you sit and you look out the top and you do it. Oh, um, okay. But that was. Pre- and then I drove on what like a mo- that was like an old nineties one, and then I drove on. I sat on top of a modern one while they drove it around, which was pretty cool. Okay. Um, the problem is, it's like old, his, this kind of stuff, you can be like, oh, this is cool for history. And then you see modern tanks and you're like, yeah, I'm not really a fan of this. This is just what they used to go and like blow people up. That's not. Yeah. Mm. So I feel like this is a f- good line between it's interesting because it's history. There's a slightly different uh, emotion towards tanks that were used to free an oppressed continent and tanks that yeah, were exactly. taken into Afghanistan. Yeah. So I think this is basically me just explaining why this is history not yeah this one's okay because it's this history. one's okay there we go this that's, one's okay <laughs> this one's okay for the podcast this, we... this is not the podcast where we uh celebrate mili- recent military wins yeah uh, from... I, I think that needs to be very clear before i uh yeah get excited about some of the weird and wacky stuff i found out but next week jack's talking about drones uh, that's gonna be fun <laughs> <laughs> and strike cruise missiles we have we have too many 
uh, too many listeners that identify as women, and we just need to get rid of a few of them. <laughs> and I just think tanks. I can think of no better way. Also, because listener you, Mike, <laughs> because you want to them to be less interested, or because you want to attack them with a tank. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Neither of those are true. I definitely <laughs> don't want to attack anyone with a tank. <laughs> That's where my I reckon listener Mike sitting at home, and listener Mike enjoys military, his- military history, so we've had the alligator. Uh, we've had a tank. I gave him the full rundown of the nails in Coventry the other day. And uh, the mummies one. So he's just like, are these guys just trying to make a podcast just for me now? And yes, that, that, is, the, that is the correct presumption there. That's good. I'm glad at least one person will be excited. I've um right. Should we, do you want do you want do you want my statements? I'm ready I do. For statement one. I'm ready. Right. So statement numero uno. Um, the tanks were so successful on the D-Day landing that the U.S. and British forces continued to use them throughout the war and then into the 1950s. Um, statement number two is the conditions inside the tanks were rumored to be so awful that soldiers refused to volunteer for the tank corps, so the crews had to be picked by a lottery. Um, and number three, uh, they were part of the fighting division called the Funnies, which was um, basically a group of weirdly designed tanks um, that were all grouped up into this one one title of the Funnies, and they were all used for the Normandy attacks. Um, so like a really weird version of the Suicide Squad. Yeah, yeah, the, the Silly Squad, nearly. <laughs> Funnies. That's what they were called. Um, I have a list of all of the funnies as well, so I'm hoping that that will... um, There's some wacky ones. I mean, that was going to be the first question. (laughs) What else is it? Would you like to hear the the weird and wacky, wonderful world of uh, what they were? Okay, so... um, I'd like to point out that one of them them already existed and was called the Scorpion Tank, but then it was later changed to um, to the Crab Tank which was basically, they just stuck a flail on the end of it um, that spun round really fast. So it was like a big spinny log almost stuck on the end of it with a load of um, flail, I guess, that just spun around and the idea that we'd go through foliage and dig up mines and stuff. Okay. Um, so not, not like driving into combat spinning around. Yeah, it wasn't. Well, yeah, basically, because it would like clear the way for places. So it would be, I, it's, or maybe it was just like a big like uh, them just dabbing on them almost, just like come in spinning. Like they'll just think we're insane and run away. <laughs> um, that might have been its sort of secondary um, motive. Uh, the second one I've got is the crocodile tank. They all have great names as well. The crocodile tank, which had a flamethrower on it, and it pulled around like a big trailer full of fuel, which seemed really dangerous, but I'm not going to question it. Um, (laughs) Then there was the Assault Vehicle Royal Engineers, or the AVRE, which had a mortar on it, carried bridges and what was called the Churchill Double Onion. See, most of these aren't very, like, silly things, but it's like a mortar. They just have all really weird names, like the the Churchill Churchill Double Double Onion. Onion. Which was basically two big bombs that, that stuck to walls. That, that was what it was called. Um, Much like the ARK, which sounds like the Ark, which sounds like some sort of like futuristic thing. Uh, that was just that just carried a ramp. That's all that one did. Um, the DD tank, uh, the LVT Buffalo tank, which was basically just a shallow water version of the amphibious one. 
uh, an armored bulldozer, which is exactly what it sounds. Uh, the centaur tank, which again sounds really cool, but was it just had a winch on it instead of instead of a gun. <laughs> it just had a topless um, torso at the front. <laughs> and the canal defense light, which is a, a big floodlight. Um, yeah, they were all like really. I just like the names. They they were just. It's like you know. These are dealers of, you know, destruction and warfare. Let's make them sound silly so they don't think we're too... Uh... Were they all adaptations of Sherman's? Yes. So I basically, um, after... List. This was a bit of a history that I didn't know about, which is quite interesting. In 1942, there was an um, attack on by the Allies on a French town called uh, Deep, Deep, something like that, but more Frenchy. Um and it was a massive disaster, and they went right. We need some silly tanks to uh, to to get through the uh, weird um, to get through like all the different bits of Normandy because it's like uh, really hard terrain. Like it's very narrow um, uh, valleys, and it's it's quite difficult to get over lots of rivers and stuff. Uh, also, interesting fun fact: hedge cutters, like hedge trimmers, uh, were designed in 1944 when they realized they couldn't get through the hedges of Normandy so in three weeks they designed hedge cutters which then stuck like strapped to the front of tanks so they could get through all of the um all of the hedges and that's where hedge hedge trimmers like that we use today come from although that's you don't need you don't need fact. the tank part yeah you don't need the tank part um, <laughs> that's optional well i mean you try and defend yourself from uh a bunch of Germans with a hedge trimmer. I think you still need the, the tanks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that might be the important bit. Yes. Um, so yeah, those were the funnies. Um, a group of, of tanks. I like the double in um, I, I'd, I'd be concerned if I got stuck in the one that just had a winch. <laughs> I would like a... If I, I do not want to go to war, but if I do, I would like uh, at least something that looks like a gun on the front of it. I'd like the ramp one. Well, the arc, the really yeah. futuristic sounding one. Yeah. Just yeah. like but really helpful. You just, you, you're worried about having to jump over or jump up onto something. You're like, oh, I just want a ramp. You might be able to like stay out the way of like the battle as well. If you're in that one. Ah, uh, I see. Do your one job and then get to safety. Uh, yeah. So there was actually tactics behind this. It wasn't just John going, oh, that sounds good. I want a ramp. <laughs> I could get up some small ledges with this. Yeah, you get you get everyone up the ramp, and then you just go, "Oh, way over here!" Tell me if there's a big cliff or something. Tell me if there's, but it's not even like a bridge; it's a ramp. Tell me if there's like a small incline. Tell me if there's a a, a slight hillock that we need to get up. And I'll be there. And I'll be there. <laughs> Don't call me otherwise. Just for the. Yeah, I'll just be here, bye. <laughs> I'll be with my mate, the winch tank. We'll be sat here not doing anything <laughs> in the back. I reckon, like, that... Yeah, to be fair, actually, that's the place... Like the crews from those got really good at cribbage, just inside the tank, or just waiting <laughs> for their call-up. Um, well, actually, they'd probably just get really good. So all British tanks since the Second World War have, have been equipped with a tea-making facilities. So you just drink a lot of tea back Oh, there. my God. I'd love of it if I'd, I'd love it if that like cut away like half the space in the tank or something. But at least you get tea. <laughs> it's really cramped. Yeah. But <laughs> you can have a fire extinguisher or you can have a kettle. Obviously, you have kettle. space to fit your head. Yeah. Or you, but, uh, water. you wouldn't be able to have any tea. <laughs> oh well, we couldn't have that, could we? We must have the kettle. Do you know what? I bet that's the best cup of tea ever, though. After like 
a long stretch in the uh, tank and then you get a cup of tea. Oh. This is where you all got your taste for mediocrity. <laughs> it was in tanks on the plains of France. Nah. And sure, the best. I, I probably also would enjoy the average condiments uh, that come with the hot, hot water. It's 2021 now, there's no excuse for it. But it's fun to look. It's nice to look back. I'm I'm fond of the idea. I now want to see exactly what the tea making setup looked like, and whether I could also stir an old fashioned in there. <laughs> You're like weighing out the granules and things. Everyone's just like, I saw a cup of tea. I'm like, I would like hard alcohol, please. I mean, I'm sure there was plenty of um, alcohol as well. A bit of Johnny Red Label, I also reckon. Just okay. like, can we get rid of the tea facility and have a wine bar instead? <laughs> a small, a small <laughs> mini fridge just for uh, for wines and selected spirits, please. That's what we really. Yeah, but it's need. like Justin's like very motivated to get north. It's like, yeah, champagne's up there. <laughs> yeah, come on, we we got to get tea. We just gotta, we gotta invade, you know, claim France back so we can have some Push good on. wine. Just, just, Justin gets distracted and invades Bordeaux. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> to this day, it's still owned by. Uh... <laughs> yeah. Australian in, uh... bloke. Oh, I didn't think about that. I could just claim the whole region. Yeah. Ah. You'd have a tank. What would? The... Although I guess if you were in the tank with the winch, there's probably not much. You know, you're gonna. I'll just pull things slowly towards you. Yeah. I'll rip up a line of vines, a row of vines, every day until I am granted Bordeaux. The entirety of Bordeaux. <laughs> How big is Bordeaux? Bordeaux? It's bigger than France, I think. It runs Bordeaux. along the... I what you call that. The wine bit runs along the river. What's the river called? Um... Oh, okay. Can't remember. That's, uh... That's reasonably big. Yeah, you could probably take that with a tank. You could probably take that with a Especially if it was like, you know, the French weren't really that all that together in 1944. You could have carved out a little bit of New Australia. New I Australia. think that would have been, they would have been just fine with that. Sure. We helped them out at the song. Um, for our fifth best, wine re- fifth best wine region, if you like. Have a glass of wine if you want, like biscuits. You, you could have been be selling, nice, uh, you could be selling wine to 16 year olds on TikTok from Bordeaux. Perfect. <laughs> mm, I'm not sure they've quite got the budget for that yet. By the time they're 18, they'll be fine. I was that... Exactly. I wonder if Justin led at the part up where we say he sells wine to 16-year-olds. That is the power. Hmm. I think legally I, legally I probably have to. I would be unlucky if the person auditing my liquor license found this podcast, but like this specific episode. Um, I don't know. With uh, pro- Bring Jack Back Trending... I think everyone's going to be watching it. <laughs> or listening to it. But to be honest, the guy I spoke to was a bit of a geezer. He'd probably like the podcast. I should. That's what I should do. I should start just dropping it into casual conversations I have with the government. Well, you got you got the you got the red rooster, black rooster episode. Not red rooster. I was going to say I think that he'd probably start with the black rooster of Canty if he was going to start with any of the episodes. We've talked about wine on pretty much every episode as well. If anyone is listening, I just would like to say drink responsibly. Um. And drink local. Um, Unless, of course, it's the part of Bordeaux that I own. You can also oh, drink amazing. I can't believe you own Bordeaux, Justin. This is amazing. <laughs> I can't believe I'd be disappointed because there's so many other places in France that I'd rather own wine territory within. 
Yeah, you, you went for Bordeaux like straight away as well. You're like, I'm just going to invade Bordeaux. I I that's that's what I'm going to do. Sorry, Justin. It, it is the closest okay. to, as far as I know, it's the closest to uh, where the invasions were held. It's a long way from there to Burgundy. Um, um, yeah, I based it off fact and not just the first one that came into my head. Yeah. <laughs> I believe well, I was just interested in champagne. Um, yeah. <laughs> okay. I feel... Uh, I'm glad statement three it happened because I hadn't really thought about the level of adaptability we needed in our Sherman tanks uh, for the landings. The funny sounds exactly like the kind of thing that the British would do. Um, Jack, Jack, was the fact that it was in flight, like, was it at risk of being shot and deflated? Uh, well, yeah, yeah, it was. So actually this kind of links into statement two. Um, a little bit. So, we can uh, talk about statement yeah. two and that as well, if you like. Um, so, yep. basically, the, the flotation two. device was seen as expendable. Um, so, if you did find yourself being, it having been shot off or it damaged, you, you, it, it did have, it, you could, it wasn't supposed to be part of it. Um, which sort of goes along with the fact that the conditions were supposedly, because like, Conditions in tanks weren't great, but it was even worse in these. No. Um, so to keep them waterproof, you were basically sealed in. So, you know, so oh. so water couldn't get in and okay. sink you. Um, and the idea was that you, you went up and you did your thing and then they'd let, kind of let you out afterwards. But you were completely sealed. They like sealed it all in way more than like a, a normal tank. Um, the idea being that you didn't actually have that far to go. So if you did sink, you could kind of... Yeah, I mean, a lot of people drowned in these things. Like, it, um, sure. they were, but it was like the idea was that it was like a rumor they heard about because these were sort of like the secret weapon of the war almost. So there was this rumor that that these things were being made and a load of basically because although there was conscription and stuff in the war, the tank corps wasn't. So it was the Royal Tank Corps. It was a specialized unit. So people were selected and you kind of volunteered to be part of the corps. It wasn't just conscripted infantry which people just got sort of shoved in uh, and basically they just saw applications for tank corps completely drop off when they um when sort of people found out about this like because you know being inside a basically a metal tomb in the water wasn't that fun so they had to start uh basically picking soldiers at random to be part of these uh tank crews um because yeah you basically get sealed in um and away you went really I like that this is where they drew the line. Yeah. Uh, Stick you in a metal box where you will have to be in the middle of a battle and just best of luck to you. Oh, yeah, that's fine. We're going to float you a few hundred nope, metres. Nope. Well, it could well be because the, the, they had to get rid of a lot of stuff inside it, like space. So maybe they got rid of the T for the, like, because you had to put a new axle in it and, <laughs> like, there had to be extra stuff right. in it for the flotation and the propellers. So maybe it was that it didn't have tea anymore. Maybe that was actually the real reason people stopped going. They were like, well, to be honest, the only real reason to sign up for it was the tea. Not really worth it anymore, is it? Yeah. Oi, Arthur, have you heard the rumours? Yeah. They've gotten rid of the tea station. Yeah. This is a bloody outrage. Yeah. No so... care for the common soldier out here doing the hard work. They're sitting back in their offices in London deciding whether or not we get tea. What is this? Did you start that off in a British accent? Only the alphabet from Peaky Blinders. Yeah, Arthur. Normally. Um, did the crew change the, the amount of people? Did you have to have more people in these ones? 
Uh, less people actually. So you so in a normal tank crew you have five, um, but basically the because com the commander can't come up, so that's what the commander would do. They'd sit up top, but they couldn't do that. Uh, so it actually has less people. It has a driver, a gunner, and then a person who'd look out the front. I don't know what they're called. Navigator, maybe. Um, so you have less people in it. No um, commander. Well, I think the navigator was the commander, and they just combined the roles. I'm not really 100% sure on that. Um, but basically, it was the person who sat in the turret, which was usually the commander. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, and then you'd have a gunner and a driver. But the thing is, the driving was pretty easy. There was You didn't really have to know where you were going. You just went forward, because <laughs> there was you got to beach, and then when you were there, it was kind of like, oh, hey, hey. Um, Don't they, like, turn on the spot as well? Because it's like... Yeah. Yeah. It's the way you steer it. And ah, I can tell you from this from experience, because this is what I did. You just have two sticks. So one yeah. makes one wheel go forward, one makes the other. So if you push two both forward, you just go forward. And you can like spin. Yeah. Um, that was how they worked. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's a lot of st added stuff. So I wrote down some of the things they added. So they added uh, compressors for the air canisters, because obviously you had to compress them from inside. Um, Drive shaft, so they they had to have a whole new drive shaft put in for the propellers because it it acts differently to how uh, the the tracks work, uh, and a bilge pump. To, so if you do get if some of it some of the hull cracks or get shot out or anything, it'll uh, put, pull the water out. Um, so there was a lot of extra stuff in there, which made the conditions even. I mean, it's not fun being in a tank. They are really, really tight. Even like modern tanks, which you thought they'd update the uh, technology, it's still like you are all you have is the space that you're sat in, pretty much. It's pretty awful. Yeah, it sounds horrible. It doesn't sound fun, no. Yeah, this statement was a lot less fun than the funny tanks, wasn't it? Oh. Oh well. Yeah, where, where do the double onions come in? The, 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 actually, I think the. Going back to the funnies, the double onion one, the one that had that on, it basically had like a big backpack full of stuff on the back. It looked hilarious. <laughs> Whereas this one just is sad. Yeah, well, <laughs> apart from the fact that it looks like a big mattress. That's true. Yeah, you'd think everyone would have been in it. Uh, Until you actually got in know. it. <laughs> and they went, oh my god, this is terrible. So how did the... Um, I don't actually know what it, this... I'd just like to point out as well, this was for British soldiers. I don't know what it would be for American soldiers. I assume that they just sort of got chucked in because the, the it, was, cause it was the Royal Tank Corps was very much a special thing in Britain, whereas for the US, it was just like random soldiers that they sort of just shoved in these things. So I, this is very much a British thing. This isn't like all of the, the tanks. This is just for the, the British Tank Corps, um, the British soldiers. Yeah, I'm fairly sure American ones, they just shoved them all in. So I was going to ask, they didn't. Like, how did the lottery work? Did it just pick a random bunch of people from yeah. a random bunch of... Yeah, pretty pretty much. They, they just select... It was just like a random lottery. I think it would have been like they would have picked specific um, regiments that weren't doing other things or had some prior training. It wasn't like, oh, pick one from 100... What? It was like... Not a hundred percent random, but it was like these regiments yeah. have I don't know used artillery before, or have or you know closer, or aren't doing something else. So it was, but then they'd randomly pick um, within those uh, within those yeah regiments uh, who would who would go and do it. Uh, the commander would get more training, but all of the the rest of the people stuck in it were just like random soldiers who you'd get picked basically. Interesting. 
that'd be the worst lottery ever. Yeah, it's not good, is it? Any more questions on statement two? Um, so once the... And this probably might lead into statement one, but once they got to the beach, these tanks were immediately repurposed to become normal uh, ground tanks? Well, they were... Uh, so, sort of. Um, they were still kept with all the, the fittings, um, but they took the seal off the top, so they would they take the seal off the top, and then they yep. were used for shallower uh, stuff. So they were then... Yeah, this does sort of link into statement one. They were then uh, used for like crossing the Rhine, crossing rivers, a little bit in Italy and a little bit in the south of France. Um, but they weren't used like okay. in the same um, like big... I mean, they, they were they were only designed to be in with a metre of waves as well. And part of the reason why Omaha Beach went so wrong is because it was really choppy sea, six metre waves. Um, yep. And Jesus. yeah, so from then on, they were more used... So quite a lot of them were then repurposed as proper tanks, but they were still used as duplex drive tanks because they obviously completely rebeaten inside, so it would, they couldn't just rip them out. Um, so they then used them for uh, river crossings, um, and yes, Sicily and all those kind of islands and stuff down there. Um, so not completely repurposed, but they weren't done in. It they wasn't did, the same extreme. They didn't drive them to Berlin. Did they? Yeah. 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 I bet. I bet like any water. Getting over that thing would be terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. Oh, it's, it's not a fun bit of history. It's not like I've really gone <laughs> I've really gone the extremes, haven't they? It's like last time I talked about video games, we had a you know, this is like right. War. <laughs> well we talked about a group of funnies. I know, it got dark. Didn't ago. It? It got dark. I should have done I should have done this in this order of the Let's statements that I said them, so we ended on the funnies, but oh well. That is usually the strategy, yes. Um, <laughs> oh, I... So, when were they used in the 1950s was my next question. Right. They were never really, like, deployed again, but they kept the idea and they kept refining it and they put them on the Challenger tank, which was the then next tank that the British used, um, and then they were discontinued in the 1950s when tanks just got too heavy, but they were sort of used and the design kept and they kept funding it and they kept putting money into it and, they, you know, still kind of trying to use them. Um, basically. So they weren't landing in Korea? <laughs> no, although, um, yeah, no, they weren't. Um, though the tank, the British tank, Royal Tank Corps, was deployed in Korea. Uh, they didn't use amphibious tanks, no. Um, also, I, I've, I've just received a message um, that I was, I was telling my girlfriend about this earlier, and she told me a fact about this that I didn't know. That apparently, and I'm just getting a message saying that she confirmed it, that they also, this wasn't a funnies tank, but another kind of tank that they used was blow-up tanks, dummy tanks. So they had inflatable tanks that they used to, like, as decoys. That was another wacky tank that we used in the Second World War. So there you go, a bit of outside influence as well. <laughs> Floating along with these tanks for D-Day, or just generally? Yeah, they did... Oh, maybe we should do a, an episode on it, but the I just um, the deception that they did in Africa against Rommel when Montgomery took over was next level. The uh, the the camel poops that were uh, mines is that where you're going with this? Because uh, that's also a good. Didn't one. hear about that in part of oh, that's okay. horrifying, but good. yes, <laughs> yeah. 
because this, that's a good one because the 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 german tanks used to drive over camel pats as good for good luck so the british turned them into mines oh god <laughs> what was what was yours justin so they were going to organize an offensive and it's in the desert so you can't hide anything so they made a bunch of trucks look like tanks with inflatable things so that they the germans thought the tanks were in a certain spot and then they set up this decoy attack in the south so they built an actual pipeline they um made it look like that uh, everybody was so far away from the front that it would take a few days while they're all kind of getting ready to attack in the north and then one night they switched the big inflatable they made tanks look like trucks trucks look like tanks and then one night <laughs> they swapped them um and just attacked, and it was a complete success. They had no idea. Rommel was back in Germany attending some stupid party. Um, he was also not there. Was he not quite there on D-Day either? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, this guy had a pretty bad war in, in the end. He had a good start to it. Um, yeah, the, so they've had to build yeah, build that. things to make things look like different things. Uh, and my, it was very successful. My favourite my favorite isn't tank-related. My deception, but it's Operation Mince Me where they got that body and they put him in the ocean, and then he got, f- yeah, and then they had like a briefcase with fake, like invasion plans, yeah. like saying they were going to invade Africa, was it? And then the Germans found it, went, oh, they're invading here, and then they defended the wrong place. That was great. One could almost say that all of these things were deceptively clever. Oh, some of them oh. were, some of them were outright cl- clever. Um, oh. Very good, Jack. Thank you. I was, I was sitting on that the through the whole of Don's that... thing going, I'm excited to say this. <laughs> <laughs> the, the thing we don't really talk about as much, when the British achieved deception, they had uh, the people in Bletchley Park doing the decoding to confirm that the deception had worked. Yeah. So all of them seemed like amazing successes, but it was because we knew that the bait had been taken. Whereas if you had to sort of plough on hoping that your deception had worked, it would be a slightly different story, I think. Oh, yeah, it'd be terrifying. It's another one actually in Italy that they did, and the deception worked so well that they actually re- they just gave up on the proposed attack site, the Italians and Germans, uh, and just defended the one that the British actually wanted to attack. So they deceived them too well. Oh, well, yeah, that's the <laughs> yeah the backfire, I suppose. Yeah, um, that's everything that I have t- today to say about military deception. Oh, that's, uh, that's pretty good. I like that your girlfriend's just sitting on. Just sitting on stories about tanks. I got a text about the satellite. She was like, "Yeah, I think this is the thing." And then I literally just got a text just a minute ago going, "It's real with ev- with the whole with with evidence, <laughs> and it's all been backed up." Um, so yeah, there you go. That's a a fun fact to add into this. It's your pillow exactly. talk. Also, oh, I I feel like <laughs> I, I missed. I could have just totally credited all of that. No one would have ever known. Oh, well. Um. Right. Um. Uh, have you got any more questions about statement one? I don't care much more I've got to say about uh... Statement 1. Um, oh, wait, I, I know I could tell you about Statement 1. Um, no, I feel sorry, like... To, to, um, I could just tell yes. you how well they were used, because I guess part of the statement was that they were so successful, so I could tell you how successful they were, if you'd like to hear. Yes. Um, so I'll, I've basically, how I've done sure. this is I've just cut them down into the different beaches and how well they did on each beach. Um, so Sword Beach, which was Good. one of the oh. British beaches, went really well. Um, they didn't really get have any resistance. Um, apparently, one tank sunk because its boat that was carrying it got struck. 
So that went quite well. Uh, Gold Beach, C was a little rougher. Uh, they lost eight tanks. Um, by the, but by the time they all the tanks actually landed, the crab mines from earlier um, had already destroyed the German artillery. So yeah, that was sort of already done for them. The Canadian Juno Beach, um, 21 out of the 29 tanks reached the beach and were, um, you know, made good progress on the beach. Um, Utah Beach, which was one of the American ones, um, they were reduced to four when their, like, boats were attacked. Um, and they were, like, like, the four of the boats, sorry, so four of the boats were, they were reduced down to... So 27 of the remaining tanks um, reached the beach, um, but the smoke stream meant that they went in the wrong way. Basically, they ended up 2,000 yards, which is nearly two, kilo um, nearly two kilometers um, from the point they were supposed to be. Um, I like to point out that oh, out of the mind. five of them, <laughs> yeah, the two funny. American beaches are the one that went really badly. And then, yeah, Omaha Beach is the really famous one where they had 112 tanks, um, and all but 27 of them sank and it all went really badly and uh, yeah that's the famous one that if you've ever seen a photo or a bit of movie or whatever from D-Day it's Omaha Beach where it all went really badly and they basically pushed up the beach just getting shot at loads and finally managed to take it uh, just because they swamped the Germans with the sheer amount of people that they had um, so that's how well they did there you go there you go that's a good that's a good roundup. Thank you. Good day for the Brits too. Mm, yeah, it went very well. Because well. D Day's always seen as like this big like but actually it went really well for most of them. It's just the Americans that didn't really go very well for. I think we only hear the good things about D Day. I think we sort of gloss over the fact that it was very difficult. Yeah. All so, yeah. oh, right, okay. In, yeah. in Australia. We had no no role to play. My other favourite thing about World War Two is we talk about D-Day as if that was the day the war was won. It was like we just strolled onto Europe and then everything fell. Like, oh, nah, they had to fight all the way yeah. to Berlin. It was a year, wasn't it? A year and it was 13 months after they landed. No, uh, nine, uh, sorry, 11 months. It was June the 6th they landed and it's May where they where Berlin surrendered. Um, but, I mean, it, it was sort of because it was a lot. That was when the, that was like the turning almost, I guess. Um, but yeah, you are right. It was like everyone's like, yeah, D Day is like that's when we, yeah. Yeah, well, like 50 years later, we sort of gloss over the, oh, yeah, yeah you know, we had victory in Europe yeah. Day somewhere thereafter. I think, John. Oh. I'm waving. I'm like, yeah. I can't decide. Gonna... <laughs> okay, I was going to say, I feel like I've been mean to you and I want to let you go first just so there can be no complaining. Um,. I can go first. But I, I I nearly locked in when he read out all the statements. I was nearly like, I'm not here to mess around with this. Then I thought, that's just disrespectful to everybody. So Wait, therefore, you, I got you, up at 7am. Are you now going? Are you no, locking you yours go. I'll go. I think I want to lock in statement two. I wanted statement two. Well, it's mine now. Haha. <laughs> Just because I think that I think the funnies is true, because he had lots of them, and he sounded excited about it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I could have made up the name and the fact that they were all designed as part of a thing. It's true. Yeah, I'd rather you didn't say that. 
before Justin said it. Yep. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, no, okay. You want everything. You want to go first. You want to... Um, and I think the I think statement, statement one is, is probably the... just true because there wasn't that much... They, like, they weren't that involved afterwards, if that makes sense. That was quite an, uh, uh, an easy thing to say. Which I think makes it true. <laughs> I'm happy with statement two. Especially because Justin oh. said he wanted it. <laughs> well, I don't think... Lottery is not how the things worked in the military generally. What's how conscription started to work a bit later on. Oh, probably World War Two as well. But I think once you're in the army, if they say you're going into a tank, you're going into a tank. Yeah, It was nicely decorated with the fact that it wasn't... Uh, it was voluntary before that. And I can see how that would have a certain point of pride um, of being a voluntary group, unit, division. Not sure what the correct term is. I'll be locking in statement one. I feel like this was developed quite quickly for a very specific purpose. And maybe they did not need to continue to use them into the 50s because they developed other things. However, if I was going to try and argue that that was a lie, I think Jack would have picked an excellent time frame because it's not like he's gone... We use them until 1990. Um, it's a pretty short amount of time to keep them active. And once you've developed them all, there's no reason not to keep them active until you need something better. Or, as you said, the tank's got too heavy. Um, so I'll lock in one, but it's with a bit of reservation, I guess, because so I think it's two. You are right, but for all the wrong reasons. <laughs> so it is two that's wrong, but you were wrong about how it actually works. So um, then- Wait. Two was the lie. Two was the lie. But, oh. but Justin's logic was wrong, if that makes sense. So last time I did this, your logic was perfectly how it worked, but this, not so much. Um, basically, like I said, it, it was kind of a lottery for the, the US. It wasn't like a lottery, though. It was like you did get picked. Like Justin said, you got picked and you saw a in it. But the Royal Tank Corps was a really big thing. Like it was people went there and trained there. And like it was like you didn't get conscripted and shoved there as part of the military. You were you went and you signed up to be a tank driver. Like, that was, like, a big thing. Um, there was no, we're in the military, we're picking you because... Da, 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 da. I mean, there was a little bit, but mostly, you know, the tank call was, like, a big thing. Um, and, yeah, they were not that... They were kind of successful. They were successful on D-Day, and then they were used later on. They were used in, quite importantly, in the invasion of Sicily. Um, and they they never really replaced them. There was, but uh, they just got too heavy, yeah. So you were right, both of you, I guess, but... I wonder if people thought they were safer to be in. Because you're not, like, in open fire. I don't know. You'd have to ask a tank. I think there's something about getting in a hot metal box that people don't like. But at least you're that in a metal box in a war zone. Yeah, I think, like, it'd be interesting to go back to the first ones that were developed in the First World War and see whether people wanted to jump in them or not. I've got some fun facts about the First World War tanks, if you like. So people had to uh, drive the Mark IV and the Mark V. They had to drive them pretty much naked because they were so hot. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. Uh, that's my little fun fact. Also, uh, yeah, sure, actually, another... This is not a fun fact, but the last person to die in the First World War, which was like a minute before the armistice, was a tank operator. Oh. Mm. He died sad. on the 10 minutes past 11, which was a minute before the guns fell silent. Well, during this, 
Well, I like how as, sad as a people, we like we completely lose sight of how many people died in a war, but we always think about that last person because like yeah. they technically should have made it. So, oh yeah, fourteen other million people and died. So during this, so I spoke to John about this before I started recording, but during this, I I found oh, yeah. out a lot of interesting stuff that wasn't really related to the um the and a lot of good statements that wasn't really related to this. So I thought. Um, if you're down for this, Justin, I've got three bonus statements, um, which I'm not going to explain and I'm not going to um, sort of delve into. But I thought if you'd like to hear three fun facts, fun bonus statements about D-Day, um, if you want to play, I, I didn't know if you wanted to play for a point, but if you didn't want to, um, I will happily buy a drink somehow through the medium of the internet for whoever gets this one right. <laughs> What is the... So we've got three statements. One of them's a lie. Bonus round about D-Day. Yes. So same... But I'm not going to explain any of them. I'm just going to tell you three statements. And if you are game, I will... Game. So... Um, just because I found so many fun things out. John and I would still need to race to get the correct one. Yeah. So this is... Um, I, I, yeah, I think this is just fastest... Right, I don't know. I don't know how you want to do it. You know, um, I'm I'm just I've got five, three statements, and then I don't know if you want to play for a bonus point. Again, I'm happy to. Uh, I will fund a alcoholic beverage for the winner. I think John and I, John and I can win no points. We can okay. win a drink. I'm happy for that. But the guest can still win a point. <laughs> just just in so desperate for a guest point. Yeah, well, it's less amusing now because now the score is seven five and. Um, <laughs> John's yeah, even we... further away. I will not be gentlemanly again. I've decided that I have no... I couldn't care less about the scoreboard. I should have just locked <laughs> in two when I knew it was two. Um, I, I was going to say... I was going to say... I was going to say two or three, and I couldn't decide, so I was kind of waiting for you to say something. But then you let me say two, so... Ah, oh, okay. You, you would have oh, yeah. been upset. You would have been very angry. We don't need an angry John. Very excited about bonus round. We've had seven, we've had seven episodes of angry Johns, so... <laughs> Five happy ones. I also uh, did not celebrate. Things I care as... about. I care about it being easy to edit. You care about points. I did not celebrate quite as loudly as I did last time because uh, oh. some people made comments that I <laughs> shouted quite. Oh loudly. really? Yeah. Or the people on the podcast. My, uh, I think it was my dad said that that's the happiest anyone's ever started <laughs> to get a point since Barnsley almost won something in two thousand and six. Oh, two thousand and eight. Get it right. Come on. I don't care. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Bonus bonus facts. Are you ready? So I'm not going to explain any of them. And it's quickest. Uh, Although please wait for me to finish. Okay. Um, Out of respect. Okay. So statement one. Uh, Hitler slept through the morning um, of D-Day and cost the Axis precious time to defend as commanders didn't want to wake him up and uh, didn't want to do anything without him and dared not wake him. Uh, Statement two. The D in D-Day doesn't stand for anything. Question three, the Germans were so confident in their ability to defend that the sword beach was so easy to take because they'd already started drinking the Statement two is a lie. I'll take three. Good good work on the end there, Jack. Uh, it is statement three Ooh. is not correct. Statement two is correct. The deed does not stand for anything. During military operations, a days in a operation get a designation. So D-Day is D-Zero. 
The next day would be D1, the next day would be D2, D3, etc. and carries on like that. Statement one is correct. Uh, Hitler did sleep through the morning, and I have a, a I have I actually properly referenced this. This is from Ian Kershaw's book, um, his two thousand one book, Hitler, nineteen thirty six to nineteen fifty five. And uh, yeah, apparently that the, the, uh, he'd been up to three a.m. the morning before watching him, a film with Eva Braun. Um, and when Speer and Goebbels arrived the next morning, they dared not wake him. God, I thought it. So um, I will somehow, through the medium of the internet, wire you some alcoholic beverage. Justin. Send it in the post. <laughs> One of those little souvenir whiskey things that they sell in the gift yeah. shops. You can fit that in an envelope. I will claim... I don't think I'll let you pay for it, but I'll claim that uh, upon my glorious arrival into Edinburgh... Oh, yeah, that would be perfect. <laughs> you can be, meet, meet him at the airport with a... Again, still just a tiny bottle of whiskey. I uh, enjoyed... <laughs> I will not be flying into Edinburgh. I enjoyed John's real, <laughs> like, genuine, like, two. It's got to be two. I'm really pleased that... I thought it stood for... I thought it stood for delightful. Well, I always... I, I suppose stress... I always thought it stood for, like, des- like it's like, des- you know, like, something dramatic. But it's not. It's just, like, doesn't mean anything. It's just D. Zero. I just went into it. I was stressed because I, I was, like, like one... Tr- <laughs> You like going to pick one. I was like, one's true. I was like, two. That feels right. I really hope three does not sound right. But John just stole yeah, two before, yeah. him, so I was going to take three anyway. I went into a bit of a haze and just shouted two, and I don't really even think I listened to three very well. Um, see, that's what I quite liked those as facts, but they just there wasn't enough of them I to make them really... proper statements. So I was like, ah, I'll just tack them on on the end. That's yes. You had too many good options for statements because you picked a good object. Bring back Jack. Thank you.